I love wine regions that are undeniably authentic and that always over-deliver. For me, that sums up Paso Robles. In fact, the first time I got on a plane in over a year and a half was to visit Paso back in April. Paso Robles sits in the heart of California's Central Coast. It's a big wine region that has many diverse microclimates, and it allows for a stunning array of grapes to thrive. In short, Paso Robles has range. They aren't known for just one or two varietals or wines. They make interesting blends from Cabernet Sauvignon and other Bordeaux varietals, Syrah and Rhone-style wines, Zinfandel, Tempranillo, and they even make beautiful white wines. Side note for you guys, my number one wine of 2020 was a Zinfandel Tempranillo blend from Paso Robles. Just saying. I also love that it's made up of over 200 family-owned wineries. We're talking salt-of-the-earth people who put their heart and soul into their wines. Paso Robles is special, but now the word's getting out. You need to check it out and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. You can learn more at PasoWine.com. That's P-A-S-O Wine.com. Are you looking for extraordinary new wines that have been tasted and approved by professionals with over 40 years combined experience? Then you have to check out 56DegreeWine.com. Joe Bimbry and his grand crew at the shop do all the heavy lifting for you by vetting every wine on their shelves. They scour the wine world, traveling often to France, Italy, Spain, California, all over the place, seeking out the absolute best values. And they keep that philosophy alive in selecting their artisan-made spirits and handcrafted microbrews. Whether you're looking for a baller, Barolo, and Burgundies for the cellar, or everyday drinking wines, they've got you covered. Even my favorite from Domain Bizcot is a staple there, so you know they have good taste. Follow them on Instagram, at 56wine, and go to their website, which is www.5656degreewine.com to browse the thoroughly curated selections. Use the code MJ when you check out to save 15% off your first order. That's 56degreewine.com. They try a lot of crappy wine, so you don't have to. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is one of America's most respected and celebrated restaurateurs, as well as the founder and inspiration behind the Myriad Restaurant Group and Crushed Wine and Spirits, Drew Nieperint. Born and raised in Manhattan, which makes him a native New Yorker, Drew started down his road to restaurateur as a young man in the 1960s. He was already frequenting high-end restaurants when he was five to six years old. He went on to earn a degree from the School of Hotel Management at Cornell University while working on cruise ships. His first foray into restaurant management came in 1978, and by 1985, he had opened his first restaurant, Montrachet, which earned three stars from the New York Times and a coveted Michelin star, keeping its rating for decades. Drew formed his first of many celebrity partnerships in 1990 when he opened Tribeca Grill with Robert De Niro. The now New York City landmark restaurant attracted an all-star roster of investors, including Bill Murray, Sean Penn, and Mikhail Baryshnikov. 
Making 1994 a defining year and Nipurant's decades-long success story, he once again partnered with De Niro and renowned uh, sushi chef Nobu Matu... Say it for me. Matuisa. Matuisa to open Nobu NYC, Next Door Nobu, and Nobu 57, all of which earned three-star ratings from the New York Times. Nobu NYC was voted Best Restaurant in America by the James Beard Foundation. Later that year, Drew yet again cemented his place in history when he became one of the first bi-coastal restaurateurs opening Rubicon in San Francisco with De Niro, Robin Williams, and Francis Ford Coppola. And, of course, Myriad's excellence in wine service is widely acknowledged as it is the only restaurant group to earn three coveted grand awards from the Wine Spectator magazine. In 2005, Myriad opened Crush Wine and Spirits, which was named the best new wine shop by Food and Wine magazine. And if that's not enough... Drew also donates his time to dozens of charities. Thank you for joining us, Drew. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I'm, I'm sure as, as we get into it, we'll find some things. <laughs> Sounds good. And no, seriously, thank you for being here. I know we, we were kind of um, talking uh, about, you know, b- beforehand um, uh, about your charity work and how busy you are and, like, you even just missed a charity event because you're so busy doing charity right. work. <laughs> Well, it's, it's like uh, this podcast conflicts with the Meals on City Meals on Wheels event, which is at uh, Restaurant Danielle. The, uh, not the new, the new one, the one. Um, what's it called? Le Pavillon. Okay. Actually, I can go to that now. Yeah, you can go to that. I realize it's at six o'clock. There, I, exactly. I might be able yeah, to make man, that. I told you we, we got the other you. one. I, I I missed, but uh, yeah. now I might be able to go to that. Awesome. One. Yeah. Um, so tell 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 us what the wine you brought for us to, to drink this afternoon. Well, you know, it's I, I own a wine store on Fifty Seventh Street between Third and Lex called Crush for many years now, and um, for me, the owning um, of that store is a you know it's, it's like going to a library. You know, all the wines are displayed on the wall, and so I go in there and I peruse. And uh, my wife likes Albarino, so this is a. Um, I think it's 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, 2018. I'm sorry, um, but it's just—it's delightful. It's like everything you want in a wine. It has nice acidity. It's full. It's—it's it's flavorful. It's just like you enjoy it from the minute you, you taste it. And uh, the tendency for me, anyway, is to drink less uh, expensive wines. Although being in the restaurant business, my sommeliers are very fixated on selling the most yeah. expensive <laughs> burgundies and things like that. And and wine has gotten very expensive, so. But I, I enjoy this wine specifically uh, because it's, uh, you know, it's really um, very friendly. It's delightful. Yeah. It's delightful. Yeah. So your fire for the restaurant business was lit early on. Um, you started going to a variety of restaurants with your family at a very young age. Um, yeah. Well, it might, see, my father was uh, a lawyer for the State Liquor Authority. Oh. And in the early 60s, um, you know, there, there was a lot of corruption. Uh, I won't say my father was corrupted, but... Um, my father had a way of taking the application from the bottom of the pile to the top of the pile. For, <laughs> and those restaurateurs, they were right off the boat. I mean, th- th- this was a very seminal moment mm-hmm. in New York for restaurants. These guys were all immigrants. And, um, I mean, we wound up going to every kind of restaurant imaginable, whether it be, uh, of course, Italian, French, German, Chinese, but really good places. And my and my father was a lovely person. And the restaurateurs, you know, they loved my father. And we did it on the arm. You know, we were eating for free. And it was like eating out, even though it was much less pricey, you know, just, you know, back in the 60s, it still was for the very privileged. Right. So I was exposed to this. It's kind of like growing up with a piano in your house. I mean, it's like 
it was right in front of me, and I was eating all this very delicious food, and I was like, I, I think I want to do this for the rest of my life, you know. So I, I made a decision pretty early on. Um, there was a New York Times article that said your family used to uh, frequent a lot of German and Swiss restaurants, right. amongst others. Right. And and German and Swiss food aren't like the most celebrated no. in the city. Now, for yeah. sure. What was it like back then? Well, I mean, you, you see, th- there was a place I remember on Lexington Avenue called uh, Jensen's. And it was a, you know, all these restaurants were like stages. They were like uh, uh, Broadway, um, you know, sets. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I, the theater of it all was extraordinary. But then when you're eating, you know, something, when you're young and you're eating like a potato salad or a Wiener schnitzel or Broadfurst <laughs> or anything like that, I mean, all these things are unique. And, um, you know, it was fantastic. And the reason there aren't a lot of restaurants like this right now are because those people don't exist anymore to, to go into business. And it, 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 the people will interpret that food, but the interpretation of that food is, is sometimes lackluster. Ironically, I mean, I opened a restaurant called Petard, which was mm-hmm. uh, after – it's in the same premise as Montrachet, which I opened in 85, and Cortone, which I opened later. So I've had Petard for seven years. The chef is, a, is Austrian. So he actually cooks that food, but he doesn't like to cook that food. He actually, you know, was trained by Charlie Trotter. He worked in uh, Eckhart Witzigman in uh, Germany. But anyway, the point is, is that I push him. So when we opened Batard, it was like, you know, a French menu. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, what, what about the Wiener schnitzel? And he's like, look at me cross-eyed. <laughs> so we, we, it was like an off-the-menu special. And it became the hottest dish on the menu because the waiters loved selling it. It was delicious. So, I mean, it, things work out like that. But, it, you know, what I've, I've noticed is, like, restaurants in general, like, the best Mexican restaurant in America is run by Rick Bayless. I mean, he's yeah. not even Mexican. Yeah, I know, Al Chicago. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, David Chang um, is Korean, but he's interpreting, you know, a, a ramen situation. I mean, you could go all the way down the list that it's not necessary. Um, I used to think it was. Right. Like, if, if I'm going to go to a Chinese restaurant, I don't want some white guy cooking me Chinese food. But, you know, generally speaking, you get good food, even if it's sort of reworked. Yeah. What do they call that? Uh, cultural appropriation or something like this? Well, I don't know if some that's kind cold. Of I, I mean, some people might. But that's, I don't think that's cold. I mean, that's that's cooking. Uh, yeah. That's that's cuisine. Well, that, um, that but, is but, cooking. But, 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 like, yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean... I mean, Bourdain famously once said, "Like you know, I don't, I don't need all these CIA graduates. Give me, give me, give me a dozen Mexicans in my kitchen." Well, he's right. You know, and right. and you know, it, it's it's can you do the job, right? But, but like, I loved Anthony Bourdain, and we actually had a nice uh, friendship. Um, but Anthony Bourdain was the ultimate outsider, who became, by dint of all the recognition and the yeah. media, he became an insider. I mean, he 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 was he was slagging, you know, um, Emerald, and you know, I I used to, you know, be with Anthony at these food festivals, and he was like dumping on everybody. Yeah. But then they all became his friends. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And he couldn't dump on them anymore. Um, and Bobby Flay even came over to me one day, and he goes, "Can this guy cook?" I mean, he's. I said, Bobby, that's not the point. I mean, he can write. Yeah. He was a terrific writer, yeah. and he was good looking. And he was intriguing, and uh, you know you can't dispute how great these shows are. Yeah, as a as a cook, you know. Yeah, no, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, I mean, because I I saw the I saw the Roadrunner movie, and and yeah, the Roadrunner. Uh, and um, but you know, like he's working the restaurant, but he's writing. He's writing that book, right? Right, and and objectively, 
It's good to hear someone who knew him. Like right. to me, it does seem like he was, he was a much better writer than chef. Definitely, you know, and and, and 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 you know, he says he was tall. Uh, he had that hair, right. you know. His and, last name was Bourdain. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a famous chef of the Connaught, I believe, uh, or the Savoy, one of those places in London at the time, uh, whose last name was Bourdain. So, I mean, just just the name alone was like ro- almost royalty in yeah. a way, you know, Anthony Bourdain. But uh, yeah, he was right a lot of the times, but he would go to El Bulli early on, and he would say, I, I, I don't understand this food. I... He, he like that was one of the most honest um, uh, telecasts that he's eating this stuff and he really can't he does he can't conceptualize it. Yeah. But then later on, it's like Ferran Adriel. He goes back and it's like he's a he's the genius right? <laughs> and he is. But uh, it took him a little time to figure that out. One time he called me up, Anthony Bourdain. We weren't even that. I mean, I didn't even know the guy. And he called me up. He said, "Listen, there's a bar in the subway." And can you bring some sushi? I'm doing a, a little get-together with friends. He didn't tell me he was filming anything around. So it was a bar called um, Siberia. Okay. In the 49th Street and 7th Avenue subway. Did you know about this place? No. You know about the It's unbelievable. So you go down into the subway. I mean, I, nothing like this exists today probably. But you go down there and it was like a bar. You know, and and Jimmy Fallon was there, and and but Jimmy Fallon was, I guess, Saturday. He was on Saturday Night Live back then, yeah. But 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 like I brought the sushi, and uh, the owner was a guy Tracy. I forget his last name, but he was bizarre. And and now when I see the thing, I, it, it aired, no reservations, I guess. It's like I, I asked my friends to to come by, and it's like I met this guy for the first time that that day, <laughs> you know. And it's like he, so he was really he didn't he was on the outside, but he. He just, you know, and this that's kind of what happens, let's be honest about it. It's like the media just makes you larger than life. Yeah. I mean, we see, I, I don't, I, you know, influencers, for instance, there's people who, I mean, like, it, it's, I mean, Warhol, 15 Minutes of Fame is, because of social media, is, is, is seriously legitimate these days. Oh, no question. You know, but, no. but like with Bourdain, he just, he was such a good writer, and, um, you know, people like reclusive writers that people like you know people where, where's uh who wrote catching a rye salinger like people want to know what happened to so-and-so right and but what, what he did because he was a new yorker he was out so you know he, the paparazzi probably started following him and that whole crazy life um, but, uh, there's also a thing where uh, and i've kind of realized this later in life people want to be led not everybody like i you know if somebody says uh, this has this place has the best steak you know, I'm just like I'm not going to necessarily run there, but but th- this is you know like the no, it's, five, that's very true. The five best, the ten yep. best. Yep. What's your best wine? But yep. but you know, yep. so it's it's like um, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. And so like the New York Times, I mean, I used to go nuts because they would rate our restaurants with stars, right. and you know, the people working there, everybody's life livelihood is on the line. And the stars, like, I, I benefited from the stars. I've gotten three stars in almost every restaurant that I've opened. But, like, if you got a shitty review, you were, like, you were, like, totally, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And so now, after the pandemic, guess what? He doesn't, he's not, there are no attaching stars. So now people, literally, when you read the comments, they're like, well, am I supposed to go here? Like, they, they have to be led. They have to be told, okay, this is three stars, so you can go now. Right. If it was one star, but he writes everything good about it. And then there are those reviews where he's like this and that and this and that. And then people are like, am I supposed to go to this? You know, literally they ask this question. It's like because they have to read the piece. Right. And they have to, you know, like, <laughs> that's the place. You, you didn't attach any stars to it. Right. But that's just, 
Well, and that's 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 current. Yeah, and then that's the you know the uh, the blessing and the curse of the internet, like with like with Yelp, right? Like so. Oh, forget uh, it. Come on, exactly. So exactly. <laughs> I mean, listen, I live this every day. Like like, there's a ten top. They wanted separate checks. So and then one person was going to pay in cash, and so it was taking a little bit of time. So the waiter brings the. You know the transaction back to the table, and somebody at the table made a smart ass con- comment like, "Oh, we could have fucking you know like some I don't I wasn't there so, but it was a smartest comment." So another waiter of mine, he was angry because they were like bitching on this waiter. Mm-hmm. So he waits for them to leave. It was a ten people, right. and uh, he mumbled under his breath something like, "You're disgusting," you know something like that. He claims he didn't do it, but he probably did it. But anyway, yeah, I've worked at a restaurant. So, he probably did it. So on, <laughs> on, on, not on Yelp, but on Open Table, yeah. they write, "This place sucks." Right. You know, we waited forty-five minutes. We and it's so totally out of context. Right. And if you call Open Table because we pay Open Table, so we you call and you say this is just not true, not accurately true, mm-hmm. they'll debate with you. Like, oh no, they, those were diners. You know, we can't. You know, oh, it's only if they. You know, there's like the criteria for removing a review is so stupid that, so you know, you learn to live with it. That's yeah, it. yeah. I mean, that's that's but tough. They, you you do the one little thing wrong, you're screwed. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I tell people, I'm like, listen, that's crowdsourced. I mean, what does that mean? It means like, okay, like, whose objective standard are we going by? Like, we, you know, like one plus one is two. Sorry. And even if you do it in algebraic in some point, it's still going to, you know, right? There we, we have, we, and just because you're mad or, or I tell people all the time, like with the wine, right? People, people want to, uh, I, I don't care, I've said it before, Vivino. So Vivino, right? People rate wines. I'm like, so say I'm somebody who normally spends $15 for a bottle of wine. I decide to splurge and I buy a $40 bottle of wine and it's a right bank uh, Bordeaux. And uh, I wanted it to taste like a, a, a bulk California fifteen dollar Merlot, and it's too earthy, and it has tan, has all the stuff. And then you're gonna give it a one star, but varietally correct. That wine's varietally correct, but the person reviewing it doesn't know. And then also, they you know they spend a little bit too much money, and they're, they're, that's in the back of the mind, like don't waste your money. So I tell you, got to take all that with a grain of salt. Well, the, I hate the reviews for wine because first of all, they're ridiculous. I mean, I love Robert Parker; he's a friend of mine, but. I mean, you know, this one gets a 90 and this one gets a 92. What the, you know, what's the difference in that? And nobody ever gets like a 60. You know, like nobody, you know, well, so you, it's always I like think, in I the 80s you know, and I, 90s. If you're, I think people like, if, if you got a 60, you feel like you. Yeah, right. You know, you're, not, you're just listening. Like, I'd rather just sell my, my $6 bottle of wine right. instead of have anybody give it like a 72. But you know, the, the one good news about wine anyway is that we were a country. I mean, part of my success, quite, quite frankly, in 1985 was I was working at all these French restaurants who had awful, I mean awful wine lists. They had, you know. And then I opened Montrachet. I had no money. I had like $50,000 to, to build the restaurant. And um, I put this wine list together, 40 wines, and it's a serious list. It's like really well chosen. And you can just see the people. So now watch this. The first night. I got one bottle of Romani Conti Le Mont Rocher, mm. and I probably paid like $75 for it back then. Today it would cost a few. Oh, my God. Maybe $1,000 or more. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. so the Le Mont Rocher. And so back then I wrote on the list, 
I-N-Q, inquire. Because I didn't want to put a price down. Number one, I, I didn't want it to look expensive. And number two, I didn't want to sell it to some schmuck. So my garbage guy comes in. And my garbage guy goes, you know, what are you going to drink? He's like, Red Wall Trichet. I want to drink a Morichet. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no. So, you know, we bring him to the Morichet, and I swear to God, he asked for ice oh! in the glass. So, you know, one of the great – I mean, I named the restaurant Morichet because of how I thought it would translate to people who were interested in wine right, and wine, had yeah. some knowledge about that. So that, that was such a sobering moment, you know, for me to like, you know – for that to happen. But from the very tiny list at Montrachet, it grew into, you know, a thousand selection list because we were kind of like the first ones, uh, Daniel Jonas, who now is, uh, he worked for me for 20 years, but he was now working for Daniel Balut. You know, he he speaks fluent French. Yeah. He became friendly. He's an importer now. Yeah. He became friendly with like the greatest winemakers in the world. Mm -hmm. But he was, he, he, he took over the program and he, you, you could just see, like, the interest in the people. So people weren't drinking wine in America, mm -hmm. but then, like, slowly, slowly, slowly. And then it just, I mean, it, it, it exploded. And also California wines, because California wines were never given the respect mm -hmm. until they, they had to earn the respect that, yep. that the California wines were as good as any wine in the world. Mm -hmm. And we, on our list, we put California wines and French wines, you know, together. And, and, and believe it or not, that in 1985, that wasn't done. Maybe wow. at the Four Seasons, but not nowhere else. Yeah. So let's back up. So when you were young, you had that wonderful experience because your dad's job. You right. got to a lot of restaurants. Was there, a, was there like a standout restaurant for you when you were growing up? Yeah, there were. Um, well, first of all, there was, um, there was a place on 52nd and... Um, I guess it was Second Avenue called Cafe Argentoy. And uh, a young chef by the name of Maxime Ribera, he cooked there. And it was like the food was spectacular. The service was spectacular. And he went on to open, you know, Max uh, Auberge Argentoy. Uh, he opened all these Argentoy. Argentoy, I think, is some weird, like, asparagus someplace. But anyway, that always left an impression. But um, there was a restaurant, I think it was on 47th Street, called Headquarters. Mm -hmm. It was the former chef of Dwight Eisenhower. Okay. Now, a guy is cooking for a, for a general. <laughs> How good can the food be? So, so what we just love this place because they, they used to have a guy walking around. You know how, like, at the stadium you have concessions that yeah. walk around with the hot dogs? Yeah. So he was walking around with that big thing of garlic bread. And for a little kid, it was like, oh, my God, there's the garlic bread guy, you know. <laughs> Come on over. And we need, you know. But but they had on the menu, they had this dish. It was called LBJ's Favorite. And it was the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. It was like crab and little tiny shrimps mixed together with Russian dressing. But for, again, for a kid, mayonnaise, Russian dressing, you know, Russian dressing on, on horse meat would taste good. <laughs> so so here again, it's like one time I read a review and it said, the LBJ's favorite at headquarters is the worst dish in the history of restaurants. But anyway, the owners there is a guy named uh, Johnny Schwartz, was the chef, and Charlie Fodor. My father was friendly with these guys. They treated my brother and I, I just have a brother, we, they treated us so well. And um, I remember if you had a birthday, you know, so they bring out your birthday with a sparkler. And they both come over and they go, if you can blow out the sparkler, you own the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you know, that didn't happen. But, I mean, it, that one stands out. But, I mean, there was San Marino, San Marco, uh, unbelievable Italian restaurants. My mother said, you cannot 
eat sauce like you eat soup. You know, like you can't use your spoon okay. to, you know, I don't know where she got that from. So like I, every time the spoon was like near me and there was a sauce that I wanted to lap Jones up, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do it, you know. <laughs> and then, um, you know, there was a place actually right close here, 38th Street in uh, Lexington called Tom Shangri-La. The old Chinese restaurants outside of Chinatown, they overserved you because most of the clientele was Jewish. Okay. And the Jews like a lot of service. And so... But my father was weird. It's like when we ordered the food, he wanted one thing at a time. But it's like you're slapping the hand, you know, because they, 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 they come out and they want to put, you know, blah, 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 you know, four things on the plate. And my father, he would try to explain, can we do one at a time? And they were like, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 yeah, you know, nothing, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, there were so many places like this. There was a place on 34th and Madison called The Empire, Suiham. And the guy didn't speak a lick of English, but somehow, you know, he fed us like kings. Mm. And it was just, it, it, it was a funny thing. I went to Stuyvesant High School. Okay. So uh, Stuyvesant High School is for very smart people. I don't know how I got in there because I was like five. Well, I read your bio. I yeah, mean, I think, but I was like 500 in a class of 700, something <laughs> like this. But one day my mother, she goes like this. She goes, uh, Willie Weisberg's mother said, Cornell has a hotel school. And I go, Mom. Cornell is Ivy League. I ain't getting into Cornell. And she's like, "Well, you know, he's not going to use the application. Let's 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 apply." Oh my that. God! See, this is like that's right because it was totally fortuitous. I mean, I still have paper applications. I used to work with kids, and they do everything online now. But like, oh, but like you had you had a coveted Cornell application. Let's not waste it. D- dig this: the state universities were all five bucks. Cornell's was twenty, and my father got pissed off at me for the twenty dollars <laughs> that it cost to, to buy. And then when I got in, he was furious because he was trying to figure out their state-funded schools up at Cornell, like the Ag School or Human Ecology. Yep. And he's like, "Well, maybe you can go to those schools, pay that tuition, and take classes in in hotel school." And it's like, no, you know, and you know what the tuition was back then? Five thousand yeah. dollars. I mean, it's, it's five thousand. Like, I, I mean, like it's like and sixty that, now. I, I, yeah, and that's. That's, that's just the tuition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But, dude, you're looking at somebody who grew up in New York City when pizza was a nickel. Yeah. And, and you know, like, and, and it was good. It was delicious. And when it went, one day we walked into the pizza place and there was a sign that said, due to the rising prices of olive oil and tomatoes, we have to ra- raise the price to a dime. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's okay. I mean, so, I mean, like now it's like, um, I don't know if you like artichoke pizza but i think i have a, oh I'm, i don't know if i've had one what okay you, yeah. it's over on 12th avenue and okay but but what what they were known for was they were charging five dollars for a slice like this is like i don't know eight years ago ten years oh, ago that's a lot. so they were at an event i was just at a food and wine event and they had the pizza out and i, I go over to them i said is the pizza still five bucks and they go like this seven <laughs> so, so a slice of pizza is seven dollars, and it was a nickel when I was a kid. That is crazy. Yeah. I know it sets. And by the way, thing. and it's the same thing with wine. Yeah, I mean, uh, on my original list at Montrachet, Poulini Montrachet, thirty four dollars, and I made money yeah. charging thirty four dollars. Now you couldn't find a half bottle I, of Bourgogne Blanc for thirty four. Yeah, no, I had uh, John Capon on. He was telling how his dad, like, like. You were getting cases of Petrus for like 150 bucks, and it was like no one, like no one wanted the wines. Can I tell you something? So I worked at La Grenouille, and all these French restaurants they bought tremendous amounts of Bordeaux. That was the whole thing. 
And then they stored them in a room that would be like 105 degrees oh. in the summertime. So there were many occasions. Now, this was like 1984. A guy goes like this. I swear to God. He says, I want a bottle of Cristal to start. I forget, what the white, oh, I forget the white wine he was ordering. And he goes, and I want a bottle of uh, Chateau Margot. 61. So on the list at La Grenouille was $700. This is 1984. But that was a crazy amount of money. So I bring the list over to the guy, and I point to the 61. I said, you know, the Mouton Rothschild is also $700. <laughs> and the guy goes, no, no, I want the Margot. So I was like, okay, all right. So then, and he goes, and I want, um, I, I think it was something crazy. It's like, I, and I want Shadow E. Kemp for dessert. Something gotcha, like that. Gotcha, okay, so gotcha. He's ordered like the greatest wines in the world. The food comes out like this, right? So, you know, I decant the uh, Margot. I pour him a glass, taste it. Food comes out, he starts eating. And then he calls me over like this. He goes, listen, I'm not saying the wine is bad, but is there somebody here who's like an expert? No, we, there was no Somalia. Right, there. I know that's another thing too. <laughs> and, the, and the head waiter was from from Brittany, where they don't even know about wine yeah, in cider. France. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, so he comes over. And is like, yeah, yeah. You know, he spoke with a falsetto voice, and he goes, "No, oh, it's good, it's good. You know, everything's good." So, this guy finishes his entree. I have a decanter like this, you know, almost full, and the souffles. Lagrange was famous for souffles. The souffles are coming out. I said, sir, what would you like me to do with the red wine? He said, you can take it. So now I'm like, holy shit, I got this whole, I got Chateau Margot, 61. I go in the kitchen. I say, hey, guys, come on over, you know, take a glass. And everyone takes a glass, and the wine was dead. Ugh. Because they, they started. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was 100 yeah, degrees. It was unbelievable. But this guy's paying $700 back then for, like, and I, you know, so I got into the wine business with these kinds of experiences, mm -hmm. knowing that, like, if I'm going to sell something, first of all, I've always been, every restaurant I've ever had, uh, maybe not noble, but most of my restaurants are very um, price sensitive. And with the wine, especially now, you, you look at a wine list uh, in most restaurants now, the cheapest bottle is $80. Yep. I yep. mean, I, I always, like, I had... List and 40 under 40, mm -hmm. under 40, mm -hmm. you know, and then it was 50 under 50, mm -hmm. you know. But and my sommeliers, they always want to sell the most expensive stuff. And unfortunately, that's what, you know, because the, the people, you know, they go crazy. Like the other day, I sold, you know, like Romani Saint Vivant and, you know, something else. Our wine sales were like $20,000. I mean, you know, a couple of bottles like that, boom, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. You know, I mean, that's crazy. So what was your first restaurant gig um, that you ever had? Um, well, the first time, I, I, I actually, the first thing I ever did was I was a quarter-pound grill man at McDonald's in ah. 1972. When I, was a when I was at Stuyvesant, I went to uh, work at McDonald's. And that was a great experience. You, you, should, they, you should contact them. They should, do, they should pay you to do a commercial. Like, no, no. I'm in their book. Like, I mean, because you know, like, they had that commercial. I was saying about Calvin. Remember Calvin, the black kid, the commercial? Who they, like, I don't know what Calvin's. Calvin doesn't have all the restaurants you have. I'm they sure. have tremendous commercials, by the way. Yeah. But, but I'm in their book. Okay. Like, the, I don't know if it's a, you know, maybe it's just a book. But, you know, there's some interesting people who worked at McDonald's. Yeah. Jay, Jay Leno and Andy McDowell and everything. But believe it or not, I do the hamburgers today at Madison Square Garden. And if you have been to Billy Joe or Nick Game or Ranger Game, I'm, I'm actually the last man standing. When they brought us in like 10 years ago, 
I was with Andrew Carmelini. I was with John George Von Gerichten, the Carnegie Deli. Mm-hmm. All those guys are gone. I'm the, I'm I'm still there, and I, I was there last night because it was the opening uh, night for the Knicks, and uh, the burger's great. I mean, it, honestly, this is good to know. Yeah, the the one thing I I believe in about life is that you know if you learn something, then you know if you can do something later in life. So when when Madison Square Garden, I'm on their charity. I'm I'm a director on the Garden of Dreams uh, for a long time now. But the point is. Um, they called me up and they said, listen, you're not a chef, but we want you to do, uh, we're, we're transforming the gardens. We're spending a billion dollars. We want you to do something. What would you like to do? And I said, uh, chicken parmesan sandwich. I said, okay, great, great. Then they called me back and said, you're doing the hamburger. I was like, <laughs> I was like whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, I worked at McDonald's in 1972. I'm not making hamburgers. He says, no, no, you're, that's all we have left. And I was like, you have the worst hamburger in the history of life at Madison Square Garden right now. So in a way, it was a challenge. And then I just I sat down and I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something really well. And then I, I broke it down, the bun, the meat, the sauces. But what was the one thing that screwed everything up? You had to have a person cooking the meat. And at McDonald's, even though it was frozen, you, know, you put frozen meat down on a, a griddle, Flat top griddle, by the way, and then you put these stupid planks on it, you know, because it was frozen. Mm-hmm. So now it's greasy and wet on the grill. And then when the bu- when the sound went off to turn them, like you weren't just turning them because you were feeling the meat or somebody. Right. Anyway, the point is, I was like, I can't let somebody cook this meat. So I found I found this unbelievable piece of equipment called a Nikkei um, conveyor belt. It broils like this okay. up and down. 17 burgers in four minutes. It toasts the buns on the bottom of this unit while the meat's cooking. The meat comes out like perfect, medium, medium rare. And then we wrap it in this incredible wrapper and we put it on a hot plate and it stays hot and delicious. And it's been there in excess of 10 years now and it is excellent. It's called the the Daily Burger by Drew Newport. They they, they called these things signatures. So it was like my signature, mm-hmm. John George. Well, mm-hmm. nobody gets that, but... Um, it's just a great burger. And this is why, like, see, this is why everybody's, like, they're gaga. They're crazy over Shake Shack. Yeah. Which is fine. Right. I mean, that's fine. Right. But, but like, there, there's not even a comparison, to be honest. But, but nobody oh, knows. Oh, I'm going to, I got to go to a Well, <laughs> now that they're letting people burger. back into the garden. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. I have four concessions in the building. You, you, and my picture's up there. You can't miss me. <laughs> so you'll see it. And which is weird because, like, as the owner of all these restaurants, Michelin star restaurants, Noble, whatever, when I'm in an airport, people come up to me and I'm like a little skittish and they go, Are you doing the porn? I go, Like, uh, okay. And they go, Your hamburger at Madison Square Garden. It's like, I mean, it's nuts, but people see that. That's cool. No, I love a good burger. And, uh, oh, man, I could go on up. We could have the show could be about burgers. Yes. Um, yes, it could be. You know, like I, I love for me. I lived in California for ten years, and so I, I love In and Out Burger because I think for for three dollars, it's hard to get a better burger. And and then I hear people on the East Coast like, oh no, Shake Shack, and then Shake Shack's good, but like, but like I'm like, you don't get. First of all, it's a family owned business. It's fresh meat. It's something ridiculous like sixty three twenty six sixty is really high fat content, and it's three bucks yeah. for a double burger. Yeah, price is important too. Yeah, price. Is, I mean, people don't. Factor all these things in. <laughs> you know, well, you and Thomas Keller. Thomas Keller, he, he lives, and actually Anthony Bourdain. 
Yeah, no. Anthony Bourdain. First, every time that. I go to LA, first thing I do is get off the plane. And I go to in LA. There it is. Well, there is my... one close to the airport. Yeah, it's right here. <laughs> um, so the New York Times uh, released an article about you, and it was titled "One of the Last Old School Restaurant Tours Standing." Uh, what is what does old school restaurant tour mean to you? You know, I, I mean, I take that with a grain of salt. Of course, I'm old school because I do things. You know, I. It, Old school should mean doing things properly. Yeah, doing things right. Yeah, and it also should mean that, like, you had a training. Like, like you didn't just fly in from some other profession, put money down, and open a restaurant. A right. real restaurateur, you know, I, I basically, when I was 18, I worked on a, 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 the MS Vista Fjord and the MS Saga Fjord. These were first-class cruise liners as a waiter mm-hmm. uh, selling to Russia and Baltic Sea and you know, and, and 600 passengers, you work seven days a week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, I, I, I managed Tavern on the Green during its heyday in the 80s. Mm-hmm. There, and there was also uh, a restaurant called um, Maxwell's Plum, which I think predates you. Okay. But it was one of the most magnificent restaurants in New York. It was kind of had its run in the 60s and early 70s. And um, on 250 seats, we used to serve almost 1,000 people a night. I mean, it was just, and it had a menu, like, extraordinary menu and then Warner Leroy who owned Maxwell's Plum mm-hmm. he opened the tavern on the green and so they recruited me to go over there and then it was like a proving grounds I mean like I, you know I had about 150 staff that I had to manage and and we did like 35 million back in the you know early 80s you know so but uh, Warner was a little like George Steinbrenner you know it's like he, he he couldn't sit still with anything he opened the Russian tea room disaster I mean, and he, he got together with David Boulay, who was my first chef at uh, Montrachet, who I had my own issues with, but, you know, he's a great cook. But he, you know, Warner Leroy, you know, casting David Boulay in anything, it was not going to work. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, B- Boulay, like, there's a guy, he was on the cover of New York Times Magazine. Mm-hmm. He was, and, you know, who cares? Like, does anybody really care? This day, this current day and age, I mean, it's like, you know, it's it's a jumble now. COVID's created a lot of uh, difficulty, no 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 doubt. But yeah, but I think to your point, I mean, like you said, um, I respect people doing their thing. But you know, the rise of the pop up, you know, it's like you know, I I make this good, and 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 I don't have to do a pop up, and then I do a food truck. And sadly, though, because you don't have the training, then they, when they try and go to brick and mortar, it often falls. It never works. It always it falls apart. I mean, it's hard for someone like you to open a restaurant, right? Like, it was successful, but, like, you know. I, I opened my first restaurant when I was 29. I'm 66. That was 36 years ago. It's still there. Uh, Tribeca Grill is 31 years. It's still there. Nobu's 27 years. It's still there. And there's, like, 50 of them around the world. So my story, when you say old school, mm-hmm. is like, it, the proof's in the pudding. All my places are, like, they stood the test of time, which nobody, you know. Look, when I was younger, it was like, oh, wow, if you get to be, like, 21 Club or the Four Seasons or the Rainbow Room, oh, man, that's like an institution. Now now, now it's like, oh, it's old, it's faded, mm-hmm. it's it, it, you know. Yeah. It yeah. is, it is. You know what? Um, this is a good point. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be back with more of Drew Nieperunt. Hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ. I know you like podcasts because you're listening to one right now. If you want another one to check out, you will love Where the Wine Takes You. It's Apostle Robles Wine Podcast hosted by Adam Montiel. And this podcast is all about the wines, winemakers, and stories of Apostle Robles. It's available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can also listen to it on their website, PasoWine.com, P-A-S-O-Wine.com. Hey, hey, what's up? It's your boy MJ again. Fun fact for you. Did you know that the ideal temperature to store wine is 56 degrees? Well, Joe Bembry and the crew at 56 Wine not only know that, they also had the audacity to name their store 56 Degree Wine. They even kept the thermostat set at 56 degrees until a few customers complained that it was a bit chilly. Listen, if you're looking for a great selection of carefully curated wines of perfect provenance, you need to go check them out. That's 56degreewine.com. You can use the code MJ at checkout and receive 15% off your first order. Okay, we're back. Um, so I'm loving this conversation. I love what you know everybody. I love the stories. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, interest in wine. Did, was, did that develop alongside the food with you? How did your interest in wine uh, come about? Um, I think my entire career is based on seeing how badly uh, restaurants uh, uh, either cook food or pervade wines. Mm-hmm. And saying to myself, if I ever open my own place, I can do a much better job. And I can do it cheaper, you know, a little like Crazy Eddie philosophy. You know, I won't be uh, undersold. So I opened my first restaurant. David Boulay was cooking. The food was magnificent. I charged $16 for three courses, $16. Wow. I told you before, Pauline Marche was $34. Yeah. I mean, you know, I saw in the restaurants just poor wine programs. They did not promote Wine. They didn't. Wine was very intimidating. Wine. People didn't understand wine. They didn't understand the the the, the wines from different countries. Let alone, you know, like you know, American wines are called are named after the grape, and French wines are named after the village or the chateau, or mm-hmm. you know, basic stuff. So I just said, okay, I'm going to make this really simple, and then I got very cool people, very convivial, very hospitable people to to you know. To carry out my mission, and you know, somebody like—I mean, I, it's hard to think this way, but no restaurant, I mean, none had sommeliers in in, in New York City, nothing. Yeah. And then we, you know, then there was like wine directors, you know, and then, you know, so, so so that gave them a little status. And then I I start seeing where the bartenders are now being called bar chefs, and you know, the bar thing hasn't really formed that much, but there is a community. Mixologists, mixologists, and <laughs> but uh, you know, it's like like how can you? I mean, how many drinks can you put bitters into? I mean, it's everything, <laughs> everything has, and, right? And and you go to these events now, and it's like there's Tito's, right? Yep. Tito's vodka, and you go, I just put like a Tito's on the rocks, and they go, Oh no, we can't do that. You know, it's got to be in the drink, and it's like, I, I mean, does the Tito suck, and you have to cover it up with all this <laughs> crap? You know, it's like so. I mean, and the other thing about mixed drinks, it's like, so there's two bartenders, right? And you order whatever the cocktail is, and then it's, and it's like it takes five minutes to get a drink. <laughs> it's like just put the bottle there, put some ice, and I can have my Tito's on the fucking rocks. I mean, it's like anyway. But the wine, the wine is still, it's still, there's, it's we're still in a learning process. Yeah, yeah. And 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 now the problem is, is that all these restaurants feel that you need this huge wine list. You know, but like when you go out for dinner, whether it's two, four, you're not going to order that many bottles of wine. So it, this is an ego thing. And, you know, even myself at Tribeca Grill, we have a grand award and, mm-hmm. you know, we have like a million dollars worth of wine. It's it's way too much, way, way, way too much. Um, so my philosophy now, I would love to be able to cultivate a list 
with less, you know, pricey wines and food less pricey. But guess what? The landlords aren't cooperating. They're not lowering my rent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's like, like if, I, if I don't want to make any money, that's cool. That, I can do that. Right. So, I, you know, I, I, what I realized, like even at Batard, you know, we had a $79 prefix. Okay? Mm-hmm. $79, three courses. Guess what? When the restaurant was Cortona in 2005, the price was $79. I didn't raise my price for 16 years. Mm. Mm. So, it's a, you know, and I'm lucky because I can control my costs and I know how to do business. But, you know, the point is I've always given a fair price. But now it's like 11 Madison, $335, Saga, $295. I mean, it's like this is nuts. This is more expensive than going to a Broadway show. I mean, it's. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I didn't realize maybe there are that many customers out there. I don't I, know. I, I, don't, I don't know. My wine store. <laughs> dude, dude, my wine store. It, the numbers are sick. They are. It's and, and we've had the store for fifteen years. Let's 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 we'll get back. I want to get back to. I definitely I want to hear about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We de- we need to get you in where I live in Jersey, man, because there's there's a decent amount of money, but the restaurants all freaking suck. Mm-hmm. Man, you can come down there and kill it. I'm down in Monmouth County. Seriously, where Bruce Bruce and Bon Jovi right, live. Right. Well, and, things are getting slightly better. Yeah. But are you near Long Branch? I grew up in Long Branch. Okay, because my you know one of my ex guys has a restaurant called I think it's called the uh, Osteria Trauma or Trauma. Oh, tra- oh, yeah, I know Trauma. I've been Patrick. to Trauma. Yeah. It's decent. It's decent. It's decent. It's, it's I mean, really, it's, for, for, for where we are, it's really good. But I, yeah. because I've lived in New York, California, it's it's decent. But for Monmouth County, it, it's yeah. it's really good. Well, but That's, you know, like, it's objective, look, being honest. Cooking is like sports. In other words, uh, to be a, uh, a cook, you have to be almost like an athlete. Yep. Now, that Pat Trauma... Was my, my was my chef in Della Famita in '93, I think it was. Okay. So that's like what thirty years yeah, ago. Yeah, thirty years ago. I yeah. mean, it's nuts. Yeah. So any any kind of food, you 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 had, you have the right outlook. It's like better than the most. You yeah. Know? It's yeah. The, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, you you got this thing, where like. Uh, Celebrities want to do business with you. How did you become to be the guy to go to a restaurant with? We were like with De Niro, and then, I mean, I maybe mean, maybe it's the first domino, but like it's impressive who who a lot of your partners have been. How did that right. come about? Well, I th- the, the, we, when we opened Montrachet, Montrachet got three stars in the New York Times seven weeks after we opened, and it was it was kind of a cause celeb. It was like a big deal because we were so inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Tribeca was kind of a new territory. And uh, De Niro would come in. But unbeknownst to me, De Niro's like assistant would make reservations at Chanterelle and over here and over there. And then he'd dec- at the last minute, he'd decide where he wants to go. Now, he was dating a black girl by the name of Tookie Smith. I know, I know. Very Willi- famous uh, right. relationship of his, yes. Okay, so Willie Smith, the designer, yep. who died, of, unfortunately, of AIDS. That Tookie was his sister. Yep. Yep. A terrific girl. And one night, she goes, Bob wants to know if you want to open another restaurant in Tribeca. And I was like, are you talking to me? Nobody, I mean, I was like, <laughs> he, he did the old famous line, you talking to me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you see, so you have to understand, De Niro was like very cryptic. He would sit in the back, his back to the room. And Tookie was very vivacious, you know, very outgoing. So we walk up the block and he shows me this like cavernous uh, space. And I'm like looking at him and I'm like, well, what do you want to do here? And he can't come up with, you know, he doesn't know what to say. I said, well, like La Coupole in France? He goes, yeah, 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 like La Coupole. So we went about, and, and that's 31 years ago. The, the He brought in um, uh, Sean Penn, Bill Murray. And back then, I mean, those guys had profile, but you know, Sean Penn and Bill Murray are like, you know, enormous now. And um, 
even Russell Simmons, you know, has had his own little trials and tribulations. But um, there was about 20 investors. And, um, you know, then I started getting calls and things like that. And then, you know, look, you could be a partner with J uh, John Doe or you can be a partner with Robert De Niro. It's better to be a partner with Robert De Niro. Yeah, I mean, for sure, man. You know, sure. it, 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 look, I, I, I believe when you open a restaurant, you have to stack the deck. And what do I mean by that? And the food's got to be good. Uh, the beverage has got to be good. The service has got to be good. But it doesn't hurt to have, like, notoriety so that the press latches onto it. Uh, so. Hey, listen. I mean, that's what, again, the, the pluses of my social media on steroids, right? I mean, that's like you, you, you want you want that push. You, it's like PR. People want to be seen. It's, like, it's a scene, right? Uh, especially... In like New York, San Francisco, like the big cities, you know, right? It it it's, it sets the tone. Well, back like in the day, okay, Planet Hollywood that was like a joke. Oh my god, because it was like Stallone, Bruce Willis, and Schwarzenegger, uh, Schwarzenegger, yeah. and it's like, and and but the place sucked. I mean, it was just terrible. Yeah. So we were opening right around that time, and it was like, are we going to be like that? So Mimi Sheridan was the food critic for the New York Times uh, in the seventies. Very tough, very difficult. And she comes in and she says, the food's better than the owners. And it's like, you know, she gave us, like, credibility. And uh, we were reviewed at the time. The food critic was a guy named Brian Miller. He gave us a review of two stars. That was the last time we got reviewed, 31 years ago. Mm. But, but we're still open. You yeah. know? So it's an amazing story. But like I said, there's no benefit to that, unfortunately. Like, like the, the, the years in business used to be a plus. Now it's like it's interesting. people right, want to try right, the new. Right. The Everyone new. Wants, wants the new unproven right. thing, which is really odd to me. I mean, and, you know, with wines, like, you know, I love California wines. But every, you know, to something you said earlier about, like, or is someone um, just have a lot of money and slapping their name on a winery? We see that so much now, particularly in Napa Valley. Um, and you know you got five guys who are making the wines for everybody, and they're all selling for three, four hundred, you know, five out the gate, first vintage, no track record. And then, like, I'll have like a an old Heights Mars. I'm like, fuck, like we forget about Heights and Groth and all these people who you know been making wine for so right. long and have the contracts. But but we all we get caught up in the shiny new nickel thing, you know, shiny new object. So. Um, you touched on this earlier. I want to go back to this uh, Rubicon, Montrachet, Tribeca Grill. have all earned grand awards right. from the Wine Spectator. And um, you, you also said something about, you know, we have too much wine. But, like, what does it take? Like, like I think people don't understand, like, how hard it is to earn those because you right. have to have a, a lot. You have to have a lot to invest in wines that you might right. not sell, right? right? Is that correct? Well, look. look. The, the, the Wine Spectator is so successful. Marvin Jenkins, you know, genius about uh, not only that magazine, Cigar Aficionado, Market Watch. Um, the, the the thing was, you know, we got caught, caught up in it. It was like, that, that, that was the, what, that's what you did back then. You wanted you wanted to get that award. You wanted to get the, the grand award. Mm -hmm. So so uh, there's only 80 in the world because mm -hmm. it's, it's, they give it around the world. So to have three, is that ridiculous? That's bananas. Yeah. But now it's like, you know, um, I think you, you, we'll sell very expensive wine. And, sure. And the fact is at the time when I was being pushed – Oh, we should do this? I was like, no, nah, I wasn't a believer. But I've become a believer. I, I mean, uh, there is a market 
where people have a lot of wealth, and they invest in wines too. They, they, wines are actually a pretty healthy investment. All these auctions and things like that. Oh yeah, tremendous. no, it, it's 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 so good. That, John Capon, I mean, come yeah. on. I mean, but even now, like if, on, on my Instagram, I get an ad like these these young. Uh, young uh, analysts are trying to put together these wine index funds. I mean, it's it's real. Like it, it's because it's it's there's a limited supply, right? You've had you've had Kevin Zrelli. Yes, you interviewed Kevin Zrelli. He's one of the nicest guys. And oh you know, my god, yes. I was I was a captain at uh, Plaza Athenae, uh, a French restaurant that was there, and he was having lunch. And he says, "You want to take my class?" And I go, "Absolutely." And you know, uh, but we we knew each other f- for a long time before, and we stayed friendly. Um, the point is, is that his approach is, I, I, I ascribe to that. I think it's, it's, he's got the right, he's not pretentious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, after all these years, he's still in the game. Yep. His book is still vital, it's still like, a good it's, book. It's still, listen, so how many, you know, how many guests like will come on and like, that's the book, right? Like right. we have all these new wine books. Again, props to people who are doing their things, but like, you know, I don't, there was this American business philosopher his name was Jim Rohn. He's like, everything you need to know about success has already been written. Like, so like, like a lot of stuff is just like, I'm going to go off on this tangent of this one part, but it's all in these like seminal books, like right. the windows on a world course. Like, right. and like you said, I had the opportunity to watch him teach one of his classes. And, and like, I was like, he's a genius. Cause it was right. so sim- like how he explained Tannen, right? Like right. it was so simple to me. Like, I was like, Oh my God, I wish I had thought of that. Like, he just makes it simple so people yeah. can enjoy it. And he's timeless. You yeah. know, he's been yeah. around forever. I mean. um, so, um, I just, I'm just, I was thinking about, you have three, so I was trying to do the percentage of all the awards in the world, but like, it's ridiculous. I mean, no one else has, you got three of them. That's just crazy. Yeah. There's only 80. Um, so, what was, um, how did uh, Crush come about? Oh, Chris is interesting because my um, uh, lifelong friend of mine, we grew up together, he was a collector. And uh, he had a little bit of money. He had a real estate guy, friend of his, who had a lot of money. And, you know, I had made some money, so we put our money together. He had a a collectible store called Gotta Have It, literally right next to where we're going to put Crush. And very, very successful collectible store. So he had a relationship with the landlord, got a pretty good deal. Space wasn't that big and with no basement, none. And we move in there and we got a little piece in the New York Times, Crane's business also. And we, we just took off. You know, we, they, and, and, and now we have a warehouse in Long Island City, which is very, it's huge and we deliver and all that kind of stuff. But we do, the, the numbers are massive. I mean, it's just like, I, I can't. We set out maybe, you know, maybe we would do three to five million dollars. We do like four or five times that amount. I mean, it's it's extraordinary, and for and we've sustained it. And during COVID, yeah, I mean, people and we were closed. The store was closed, but we still did all our business. Because you do deliveries and you have online. Yes, yes, yes. And these guys, they have customers who like when the Russo comes in and all the high-end stuff comes in which they can't get, boom. Yeah, I talk about, I mean, because I, you know, I, I worked at, I've always, the shops, I, most of the shops I've worked at um, were like that. Like you, like people don't get, like it's a professional, like you build a book, like you have customers who are like, oh, if you like this Russo though, we got this other new domain right. coming in and like, all right, give me a case. Like, like how's it, how is it to, how is it that, um, 
where'd you find like how'd your team come together there i mean to, to put you know basically i'm the black one like you got a bunch of wine guys working there yeah it did it it did take a and little bit wine of time. Pe- wine people so i don't get canceled <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> no, it, it, it took some time but uh our general manager's guy named uh ian mcfadden he's terrific he you know and um we have people who are like, you know, they're, they're people responsible for uh, spirits and mm-hmm. uh, liquor. They're people responsible for German wines, you know, have their customers. And we broke it, we broke it down like that, and, and we pay people very well. And it's a totally different business than the restaurant business. Like in the restaurant business, you know, like we have our expenses are really rent, food costs, and payroll. Mm-hmm. In this thing, obviously, the cost of the wine is, is substantial, um, and the payroll is substantial, but it's not quite the same when you're doing this massive number. So it sort of pales in, in that respect. And and uh, you could be very profitable with wine. I mean, it's just extraordinary. To, so, I mean, it's I, I've invested in very few things, and and I put over a million dollars into the store back in I think it was 2005 or six, and uh, I've, I've done fantastic. Nice, nice. Um, now, I mean, so you do. I mean, you're a, you're a businessman, so you have lots. Not of really, yeah. not really. <laughs> no, no. Like, like you asked me that old school question. Yeah. So the old school is that I, I, for a while, I didn't even have an office. I mean, I would just put a table out front. I swear to God. Yeah. And you know, like this is before cell phones, so I'd snake the, the the phone outside and put it on a chair, and it's like, you know, the the world has caught up with me. It's like you can't operate the way I operated because basically it was like this was my philosophy if I do the right thing I'm going to make money mm-hmm. and I never I swear to God I never looked at a balance sheet I never looked at a P&L statement I never did a budget and I always made money you're fortunate because like that's like that is you're you're but like you you're you're, you're a little bit older than me but like you could get it like now it's like people like first thing, you know, like oh, you know how to read a PL, blah, blah, blah. And I love what your philosophy is like, if I do right by people, I'm gonna make money. But but I'll tell you what, when when the tide started changing, and I looked like I opened the restaurant Rubicon in San Francisco. I was like, why is our payroll a hundred thousand dollars a year more in San Francisco? And you know what they said to me? Because the government the, the 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 minimum wage is like yeah you know I think now it's more than fifteen dollars an hour but back then it was like twelve or something and in New York it was two yeah yeah so now if you're paying a hundred thousand dollars like I was trying to operate you know Rubicon like Montrachet mm-hmm. when you're paying a hundred thousand dollars more just for waiters because of the way it is and you didn't research that or nobody tapped you on the shoulder mm-hmm. okay then we had bought the property in San Francisco okay so the people we sold it to instead of locking in at a price, they started charging me like 30000 a month rent. I don't pay 30000 a month rent. So I couldn't, I, you know, now, I'm, I, now my overhead is stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just didn't work out. So, but on the occasion where you, you realize it's hard to make money is when you're not sort of like patrolling, you know, making people uh, come in at a, a, a correct food cost or, mm-hmm. you know, watch, watch the payroll. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to dot every I and cross every T now. Yeah. I mean, you can't mess around. Like, like when I had Montrachet, I said, I'm not going to have a, a time clock. He said, why don't you want a time clock? I said, I said because if people are late and they punch the clock, uh, what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to penalize them? I said, we're just going to have the honor system. They're going to sign in. Right. You can't get away with that now. <laughs> There's no way. No, it's it's no. like to the, to, the, to the penny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just little stuff like that. 
Um, what was it like working with Robin Williams? Did you obviously must have at least a meal or two with him? I, I, I would say of everybody, you know, of of um, all the celebrities I've met, he was probably the most Hamish, the, the the nicest one. I mean, he come to town. First of all, uh, his wife would call me up when they would travel to France and say, "Where should we go?" Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'd always give him places to go. But when he'd come to town, he'd invite me to uh, if he was performing at Carnegie Hall and the after parties. He just was very inclusive, and he wasn't afraid of charity. He would like. You know, when somebody asked him to do a charity, he'd show up at Rubicon and have dinner with these people. It, it was fantastic. And um, uh, I, I have a video when I turned, um, I think it's when I turned 50, he and Francis actually filmed a happy birthday salute to me, which is like <laughs> priceless. But, you know, it's like, you know, and, and Robin's, you know, improving and he did it twice. And it's <laughs> like it's one of these great tapes. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So, I, I like what you said about, you know, because I, you know, Food Network, love it or hate it, you know, like I watch different shows, like I watch Bar Rescue from time to time, yeah. same thing as The Numbers and then Robert Irvine, like, what would, uh, if you were going to open a restaurant today, like, what would be like your, your, what would be the first thing you'd be looking at? Well, Whenever, whenever I conceptualize a restaurant, there's only two reasons why you'd open a restaurant. One is that you have to showcase talent. Okay. So if you have a, like a really talented chef or a really talented you know beverage person or something, so that would be a reason. Or, um, you know, you, you, it could be like you're going to do something that nobody else has done in New York City. Like you're going to open something like that's one of a kind, very interesting. That's why you'll never find me in a mall or you know do something. <laughs> so with Nobu, you know, when you think about the success of Nobu, Nobu is really probably the greatest success story in America, restaurant business. Like I would say, in this century. Yeah, let's America. talk about that. Talk about yeah. talk about how that was conceived. Well, and think, think about it. It's like it's like in New York City, all the Japanese restaurants were for the Japanese. Yeah, I mean they had sushi screens, they had tatami rooms. Nobody even understood them, and they the Japanese did not want us right. coming to their restaurants. Right. They were very happy serving mm-hmm. their own people. That right. was the way it right. was. Right. So so I see Nobu. You know, I, he's got this little sushi bar in uh, La Cienega. Um, and you know, I go there, and it's like, you know, he's so charismatic, he's so friendly, and um, you know, De Niro is like, you know, he loves this guy, to the point when we were going to open the Tribeca Grill, he says, "I got a chef for the Tribeca Grill." I said, "Bob, uh, who are you think about?" Oh, Nobu Matsuisa. I was like, "We're not going to use a Japanese chef," <laughs> but I didn't say that to him. But I'm like, so, but I bring in Nobu. We yeah. flew in Nobu, and you know, I meet Nobu, and uh, but I knew him. And uh, I, I once took a huge party of chefs to Matsuisa, but but um, I see the kinship between De Niro and Nobu, and I was like, I'm going to make this thing happen. And then you're going to have to read my book or come to my movie premiere, whatever that is. Hopefully it's not going to be like when I'm dead. But, but it's a great story. It's a tremendous story. But on my gravestone, it's going to say Drew Naporn, the man who brought Japanese food to America. Because if it wasn't for me, I don't care what – Anybody says if it wasn't for me, it would Nobu would would never have happened. Yeah, it, you know, um, it, it's a long story. I, I, I can't get into it now. Even Morimoto worked for us. Okay, and Morimoto has tremendous success with the Iron Chef. Yeah, okay, and his yeah, own exactly. restaurants right, right, and everything. Right. And there's so many son of 
Nobu-style restaurants. But I'll, I'll say this. The, the Nobu that we opened in 1994, and you draw the line to the Nobu today, which I just had lunch in, is exactly the same. Mm. And most of the time it's like, wow, there's no innovation. There's no creativity. What's up with that? No. It was so creative, and it's still so creative mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the simplicity. It's all about simplicity and if you do something with pristine products, like the fish that we buy, the sauces that we use, and the precision, and a lot of cooking is precision. Um, precision is very important in cooking. And, and, and so can you imagine 27 years later, it's, we, we, we're doing like 500 dinners a night at Nobu 5-7. We do like tremendous numbers. It's just unbelievable. And it's, I mean, at lunch today, we had 250. Yeah, and yeah. It was incredible. I, I mean... When people, and it's expensive. I know. <laughs> I mean, I think you you make so many good points. I mean, people want to try the the try this new thing, but like, they don't. You don't understand what it takes to be on top that long and to stay in business right. that long. Like, like yeah. literally, uh, I love it. Like sports analogies. Right? So, like, listen, man. Until you master the basics, don't be trying any fancy tricks, right? And like, some of my best meals, like. Uh, you know, it's like five ingredients, just the, the right five ingredients and the right amount, at least precision. I love that word, precision. Right. Um, which, you know, when you're serving blowfish and kill people, you better be pretty precise, right? So. It's 100%. 100%. Um, no, so, like, it's like, it's like I'm, I'm very into sports. Okay. So, I, you know, uh, because of my hamburgers, I can walk into Madison Square Garden. I have a credential. So it's opening day. You know, so when they announced the Boston Celtics, I, I, I was like, who are these guys? I know. I feel this. Listen, I'm not. No, no, we're I, not. We're not old, but like, but like, I remember like the NBA was like Dr. J. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, I'm like, this guy. Who's this guy? Is a superstar yeah. now? I didn't like. Well, but but can I tell you something? Like the game starts. The Knicks went up eight nothing. Okay. And then like two minutes later, it was eleven eight. Like <laughs> they scored eleven straight points. And then the game went into double overtime. There's a kid named Jalen. What the hell's his last name? Jalen Lee or Jalen something. No. Rose? Rose is an announcer, no. No, no. Jalen Rose played for Michigan. See, I know him. He's old no, school. I can't believe I can't remember the same. He scored 49 last night. Wow. But in the first quarter, he had 25. Ugh. He could not he miss. He cooled off. No, he but he was off. tremendous. But yeah. and, and he was a very cool guy. And, and like, all, like I, I, I hate Boston you know, sports oh, because I'm a listen, New Yorker. I know. You're a New Yorker. But, but I, I, I can't believe how much better they, they are. And, like, you know, uh, the, obviously the baseball team is – Killed us every year, but um, I mean, I'm 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 gonna enjoy watching the Celtics because they were so good and they were shooting three pointers. They had like sixty six percent. Do you mean the Knicks? You know, I'll help you out here. Do you mean you enjoy watching the Knicks? Or are you gonna enjoy watching? Well, the you know, the Knicks are uh, a patch. I, I love Knicks fans because every year they're like Met fans. It's like this is gonna be the year. Yeah, it nah. hasn't been the year for twenty years. I, I'm I'm from Jersey, so I was a Nets fan, yeah. and then they moved to Brooklyn, and now I'm just kind of floating in the wind, dude. I just like great sports. I, I like a good game. I like yeah. a good match. That's when I got into tennis. Like, like uh, you know, um, you know, uh, just because of sports, like the U.S. Open, like it's great. McEnroe, like I just love a good match. You know, right. like like the Yankee Dodgers rivalries back right. in the day. Um, no, I, I hear you, man. Um, <laughs> this is just one thing. My mother was an actress, and then my mother became a casting director, and I think somewhere genetically. You know, casting is like you, you have to find the right person for the right job kind of thing. So, so like, I'm watching the Knicks yesterday, and I've seen Fournier, they, this new player they have, uh, Nathan Fournier. Like, I've seen this guy, and I was like, 
you know, he's, he's going to be pretty good. He was on the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. Dude, in the overtime, sets up from three points, in. Second shot, sets up from three in. Third shot, in. Uh-huh. Three in a row. And then it went into double overtime. In the, the second session, he hits another three-pointer. <laughs> so he had like 32. I think Julius Randle had 36 or something like that. But it's like, thank God we got this dude. But I said I saw it early on, meaning like whatever my mother, you know, the casting thing. Yes, it's like I, I could exactly t- saying, yeah. I could tell yeah. like they're making a big deal about Kemba Walker because right. he's the, he's like our savior. Right. He disappeared in the right. overtime. Right. I didn't even see the guy. Right. Right. But um, you know, it's interesting to watch sports. Sports for me, it's like um, you know, like if, when somebody's that talented, you just pray they don't get injured. But yep. they all but they all get injured. They all get injured. Yeah. So what like what's your like your your home? Watching a game, what are you drinking and eating? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, 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 I'm a devout Jet fan. Okay. I actually do the VIP rooms at the MetLife for the Jets for many years now. Uh, it's something called the Green Room and Coaches Club and whatever. But anyway, um, I, listen, I love a great chicken wing. I love you know bratwurst, uh, sauerkraut. I never was a beer drinker, but. Uh, I, I drink uh, light beer because uh, I can afford those calories. And light beer is good. I, li- I like light beer. Well, but I mean, IPAs are so heavy now. They're so like, oh, these wines, you can't, the wines, you can't see through them. They're yeah, like 8% yeah, 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 alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And they're expensive. And they're, and they're like, what a business. Yeah. Fucking start your own beer. People, again, new thing, just a crazy graphic on the label, four pack, 25 bucks. It's water, hops, and, and so it's, nuts. It, it's nuts. It's nuts. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I eat. Typical, typical food. Um, Sports food. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, I like. I love chili. I like things in a bowl. I like rice. You know, with some kind of a yeah, something know, on it. I, something I'm, I'm spicy. A, and I didn't eat rice for a while. I was trying to do that whole keto. Well, you're thing. in good shape. You're in good shape. But then I was like, I can. Afford, I love rice. Yeah, rice. Is I mean, it's so brown comforting. rice. It's yeah, so comforting. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. and cheese. <laughs> See, for me, the cheese thing is like. I eat cheese every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I eat cheese. So, oh, since you mentioned cheese, this is we have some fun. This is a great conversation with Drew. This is you got that's legend. Like I said, I did a video. Like people, like real people talk. Feel oh, this person's a legend, but like all your restaurants still. I mean, that's legend, right? Um, like, so you've had to have some few good meals. All right, but we're, let's go. Let's start with pizza. Yeah. All right. So pizza, New Haven pizza versus New York okay. pizza. So that's interesting. So. The one thing I find from Instagram, yep. you know, because I really believe like when you see something that looks good, you want to pursue it. Yeah. So I, I, Instagram has sort of motivated me, especially during COVID, to get as much pizza as possible. So there's a few places I have done these trips to uh, Sally's mm-hmm. and Pepe's. Pepe's, yeah. Pepe's treated me very nicely because I was just waiting outside like any right. person before they open, and the guy comes out and he goes, are you Drew Napore? And I was like, how did you know who I was? But And I, I don't remember how he knew, but I thought that was excellent. Not so much the place in Yonkers. I think they have a Pepe's. In yeah, that, but that's, that's, no, listen, that, I same. mean, that's when you, Brant, they have several now. They got one yeah, in the casino, yeah. but like, right. you, you gotta go, you gotta go down to Worcester yeah, Street. You gotta yeah. Go, yeah. The New Haven thing, you know, God bless New Haven. Uh, if they want to say like like what's the name of the guy who comes out of the store and you know, hey, Rocco, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know the rules. One bite, one bite. You know, yeah. he says one bite and then he takes twelve bites and he gives it a score. Right? right. What's that guy? Oh Bar- yeah, oh yeah. Bar- 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 Bar-
I hate everything about him. He's from Boston. <laughs> he's a Trump Fox guy. He's like the worst thing on on the planet. But with pizza, he's he's chosen the one thing. Any, the, I swear to God, when I tell you this, I've never had a bad slice of pizza. Yep. I mean, I've I've had maybe le- uh, less interesting pizza, but I've never had a slice where I can't eat that. Yeah. So that you know. So here's the best pizza, and I and I really mean this. Um, he was my chef years ago. His name is Frank Fascinelli, and his partner is Frank Castronovo. They opened uh, Frankie's Sputino in uh, Williamsburg, I think it was. Okay. And they're, they're, they're not as old as I am, but they're old. And they open F&F Pizza, and they go out and they get uh, Chris Bianco from uh, Arizona, who's caf- uh, the Bianco Pizza out there is supposed to be the best in America. And they got uh, the guy from Tartine in San Francisco to make the dough. So I go out there. I'm very skeptical. And it, I was during COVID. And uh, online, they had this pizza with red onions okay. and chilies. Yeah. And uh, like, I like red onions, but I'm not, I don't necessarily like it on pizza. I got to say, I, it's like when I'm eating this pizza, I'm saying, this is good, man. It, it, like, I would go back. You okay. know what I'm saying? And then Upside, there's a place called Upside on Spring Street. And they make a very good slice of pizza. But, you know, sometimes, like yet two days ago, I had a meeting like on 34th Street. And it was a pizza place there. I was hungry. Yeah. And I go in there, and they treated me like dirt. I mean, they were, you know, and how much is the pot? Uh, how much is it? Like? 381. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know. And, but I, I, when I was in there, I was like, this is actually not bad. I mean, it's like, you know, I would come back to this place. So I think, I think whether it's pizza or wine or good food, it's like when you're eating something, and it's like, hmm, I would eat this again. Because I don't know about you, but when I go to a restaurant, I order the same yeah, thing I mean, yeah, over listen, and over. Yeah, Everything. Yeah. I don't care if I go there 10 times, I order the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much my deal, too. Um, you know, uh, we had uh, Mark Iacono on last mm-hmm. week. And um, it's interesting what you said. Like, he opened a pizza place because he loved slices when he was a kid. That's right. what hooked him. And he actually is opening a new slice right, place. Right, he's yeah. got a slice place. Yeah, but, um, but you know, like... I go to my favorite Chinese restaurant, my local Chinese restaurant, and and and, and not even in my hometown anymore. And I order, I same order, stuff. I order the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I order sweet and sour chicken. So you I had order, <laughs> you had Mark, Mark Iacono in the podcast. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Interesting. See, this guy, he, he's genius. Oh my god. I mean, it's like he had the article in uh, the New York Times, even you know, and I think he got shot or he almost, and then. Uh, he was on the pizza show. I saw him on the pizza yeah, show. Yeah. Yep. So today I'm looking at. Um, I'm looking at my Instagram. Yeah, he was there with Mark and Pro and the, the guys from the, the uh, well, Sopranos. Well, Steven is a good friend of mine, okay. Steve Shripper. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and Michael Imperioli, I'm very friendly with also. And and he's there. Like And usually Steve tells me when he's going to go to these places, so he didn't say anything. So I got to figure out how they hook, <laughs> hook that up. They definitely ate on the arm. They didn't pay. I know that <laughs> for a fact. But, but you know, uh, Steve and uh, Michael Imperioli, that Talking Sopranos podcast is very popular. Because they've had all the ex uh, cast members on the, on yeah, the show, yeah. it does fantastic. And Steve, you know, like Steve fancies himself a foodie. Yeah, he had a sauce for a while, you know. Uh, yeah, the sauce. I mean, he had a sauce for a while. He had a sauce. For a while. <laughs> Let's just say the Rayo sauce, though. Do you, do you realize, like women, right? My wife, right, goes to the market, buys the Rayo sauce. Okay, so how much does the Rayo sauce cost? The Rayo sauce costs nine ninety. I would say it's like ten bucks. Yeah, it's always yeah. always ten bucks. Now. The three sixty, you know, the three sixty. Yeah. I think I, I forget it with three sixty five. Yeah, what is that? Whole Foods. Yeah. Whole Foods, right? Going to Whole Foods. You know how much yeah. that is? Same same size, dollar ninety nine. Yeah. So it's like, 
what the hell are you buying this radio? So, well, it's better. I, I don't give a goddamn if it's better than one ninety nine versus nine ninety nine. You got it. He's so like, I run restaurants. We got costs dude, here. I, no, you have no idea. Like when I was a kid, I, when I was a kid, I shop for my family. Yeah. Everything, everything was like, you know, I would cost compar- I would never buy anything. And then like my wife would buy like turkey, sliced turkey, six ninety nine. Great. Then the next one comes in, it's eight ninety nine. I said, hey. It's the same turkey. Why? Why you paid eight ninety nine? You know so, yeah, that bothers me. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I'd, be re- I'd be remiss if I didn't say my, my wife makes sauce. We don't we don't use jar good, sauce in my house. So she she dollar ninety nine get a can of tomatoes, garlic, crushed red pepper, and basil, That's it. and That's we're it. good to go. Um, <laughs> That's all you need. So we we talked about you know we talked about stadium food. We talked about pizza. What was I like, had a restaurant by the way at City Field. Okay, for yes. almost fifteen years. Yeah, I, I mean, but they, they, I, I saw that, and yeah, I had two sets of notes, out. and that that wasn't yeah. a voice, and it wasn't about. Oh, I know it's not your fault. No, no, that's it, me. I don't read. You know what the worst thing was? So on the, on the opening day, they said, "Are you going to carry Tom Seaver's wine?" Because Tom Seaver. Oh, you know, I know how. Yeah, and, but the wine was like ridiculous. That's super it? expensive. It was super. expensive. I had Harmon Skernick so. on. They were they were courting uh, oh, to right? to carry it. And, he said, you know, I, Tom Sear was a hero of mine, but the yeah. wine was a little too expensive. Yeah. But you, you know, you know <laughs> for who what it big, was. You know, who was the big wine guy was Rusty Staub. Okay. Because he used to, he used to have, um, in his restaurants, which were horrible, by the way, but he used to have always, like, magnums. He, was, he always had big, uh, uh, you know, big formats in his restaurants. So what's your, like... Best ultra fine dining experience like Boulay. I mean, where, like where, where, where like I'm where, done with fine dining. You're done with fine dining. I, I, I'm I'm not done with fine dining in Europe. Okay, like I'll I'll get dressed up. I mean, I'm wearing a suit. Today. Yeah, his first guest to have cufflinks and a suit on. Ever on I the swear when I tell you this, I think this is exactly what I wore to my daughter's wedding three weeks ago. <laughs> I have not put on a suit in ages. And um, which is telling, yeah. you know, you don't have to. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I thought I was going to Danielle tonight for dinner. You know, it was last night, so I, I screwed up. But anyway, the point is, um, you know, I have always said this also. There's a facade in dining in New York, and I worked at the best French restaurants. Yep. I worked at La Grenouille and Le Perigord and La Reserve. And I saw the facade. We we were dressed in tuxedos. You'd look up and down the customers. You made the customers dress up to get, go inside and eat. And now, like, go full circle. And the people coming in with the baseball caps turned around, shorts. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. One time at Montrachet, this is a true story, um, Michael Gross, who wrote on notes on fashion, he called me up and he said, uh, do you have a, um, oh, no, no, he was sitting in the dining room. Um, a customer, just any customer called me up and said, do you have a dress code? I said, yes. As long as the feet and the genitals are covered, everything's cool. <laughs> and so it, this guy, he, he overheard me, and he writes in the New York Times, overheard the head waiter yeah. of Montrachet, um, as long as the feet and the private parts. He, he, he cleaned it up. Yeah. But, but like, so I get a call from one of my customers. Do you know who said that? I said, why, David? He said, I would fire that guy if I found out who said that. He said, like, you know, because back in the day, that's the people got dressed up to, to eat. Yeah. So, um, look, I don't like rules. In fact, Montrachet, you see, people don't realize it. Montrachet in 1985 was groundbreaking. The food was groundbreaking. The food compares with anything we're serving now. But it redefined fine dining. You didn't have to get all dressed up. 
and the waiters, instead of wearing white shirts, wore black shirts. And anyway, we started a wine program. And, and now it's, I still have the same restaurant 36 years later. And to a certain extent, it's not called Morishet, but guess what it's called? Batard Morishet. <laughs> yeah, Batard Morishet. Right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. And it's and, 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 and the food's great and the wine, you know. So anyway, the, the point is, it's like nobody cares. Yeah. You know, you, you, you were very kind. You say, oh, you, th- I'm talking to a legend. Yeah, you know, the legend of my own mind. I mean, it's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But I'm, I'm like, I'm cool with that because it's like, you know, I don't need people to blow smoke. I, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. I've, I've lived a great, yep. great, great life, you know, and it's like, you know, and but but I I like fine dining. I, I gravitate to fine mm-hmm. dining, but they're all dead. Yeah. You know, uh, Joel Robuchon, La Grenouille is like a sad story. Uh, these restaurants really don't exist anymore. Yeah. I mean, the, the grill, they're friends of mine. Mm-hmm. I love them dearly. But like, you know, slicing a piece of meat, table side, that is not fine dining. I mean, you know, and, and, and if I've learned any lesson, you know what it is? Hot food, hot, cold food, cold. You got to get the food mm-hmm. out of the kitchen fast. And if you... You know, like, like even yesterday at Madison Square Garden in the VIP rooms, they have this gorgeous prime rib of beef. So, okay, maybe the prime rib, which they're slicing, is not going to be hot. There's no, there's no element to keep it hot. But they've got a sauce right there. So they said, do you want sauce? And now, no, man, I don't need sauce. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. And the sauce was cold. Uh, so precision. Yeah, precision. Precision, hot food, hot, cold food, the simple stuff. Like if my hamburger was cold, I'd be pissed off. You know, it's like, I, so I, I look at things like that. That's just what that I believe my success is just because I care maybe maybe a little bit more than everybody else. Maybe. I don't know. You know, caring, that's that's the first thing I asked my staff. I said, Do you care? Well, care about what? Care about your fellow worker, care about the customer, care about do you care? They they can't even figure that out. It's like, Yeah, I guess I care. But anyway. So what can I tell you, man? That's awesome. <laughs> this is one last question for you. Okay. <laughs> if I go to heaven, no, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and this is a tough question, and, and and I know there's no best, but like, what was the bottle of wine that knocked your socks off? Like, what was a wine experience where you're like, wow, this is absolutely. I, I was trying, you know, to get lucky with a girl that I liked. So I stole a bottle of 61 Margot. You know, 61 Margot was like out of Maxwell's Plum, you know, and I brought it home and I cooked rack of lamb and the whole thing went great. The wine was great. The food was great. I just didn't get laid. But that, you know, I tr- <laughs> that was, that was, that was my, you know, yeah, you know, so that was, you know, you know, so 61 Margot sort of stands out. But I would say, I mean, lately, yeah, like when I go to, a, like I've been invited to the reopening of Benno. Okay. Um, uh, I'll bring a bottle because I don't want if the restaurant if like I'm friends and family I don't want the restaurant to spend any money on me for the wine right. but I want a good bottle of wine especially yep. if it's you know Benno or mm-hmm. Carne Mare or uh, the place on 14th Street what's the one uh, David Kinch was cooking uh, called Invectus or okay. anyway um, and like I opened a bottle of $500 bottle I think it's $500 on our list which is not that expensive but a Bittard Marche uh, 98 and it was awful mm. it was like you know so right there's behind, a lot of pre-mocks going on with some of those 98 birds exactly yeah. so so yeah. so that was disappointing but what followed it is like uh, honestly it was I think it was a premier crew uh, uh, Merso you know a good a, 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 a good grower mm-hmm. you know small mm-hmm. and it was just delicious you know it's like so I I, I 
wine for me is like discovery. It's like every bottle. It's it's like I'll I'll buy a case of like I bought a case of this because mm-hmm. my wife liked it. You know, but for me, I like to do a different bottle almost every every night. You know, and it's just like discovery. And you could, yeah, you could you live the rest of your life you, you, different, drinking different you wine. You can never drink. And, every and by the wine way, the I'm world. not impressed. I'm not like tomorrow night mm-hmm. is the grand tasting yep. at the Marriott. Yep. Have you ever attended that thing? No. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. But anyway, so there's like 200 wines. Yep. And like some amazing stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's heavies. It's a, and and like it's the only event I think I can recall ever getting like. A little drunk at because right. I, I don't because there's not a lot of spitting going on when you got those. no exactly right no. there's certain tastings you're like okay. it's like you're walking by all the California yeah, wines yeah. all the Australian yeah, wines yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. get me the French guys yeah. you know and they have Corton Chalamet and all this kind of stuff but anyway um, you know so then I'll drink the when it's on somebody else's nickel I'll drink Bordeaux yeah I had a I had a the 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 chief revenue officer for Hundred Acre and he said Hundred Acre is like the best bottle of wine you could drink on someone else's dime. And, you know, he sells it, but he's like, he's like, you know, if you're if you're on the list at six fifty a bottle, I'm sure it's three times that in restaurants. Like, he said, but it's a great drink on someone else's dime. Yeah, exactly so. right. Exactly right. Well, Drew Niperant, thank you so much for coming in today. My oh pleasure. my God, you have my so pleasure. many stories. You're uh, you're awesome for doing this. And uh, man, um, what what where can people find out what you're doing? Is there a website? Can we blow up your Instagram? What's your Instagram? Where can you find out well, about no, your I, group? You know, my Instagram is under my name. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Batard and Tribeca Grill and the Crush. Everybody has a website. Maybe not that great, but they have a website. You know, we, we're, we're not really good at promoting ourselves, unfortunately, but it is what it is. Nobu, of course, sort of exists on, I mean, it's just the most popular. It's in its own it's, orbit. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really extraordinary. With a very bad wine list, by the way, but uh, I'm going to try to see if I can improve that because I I used to be involved, but they they, they kind of hose me about that. But you know, so you know, but Instagram is kind of cool. I'm cool. sort of stuck on like you know the same number of followers for whatever reason. Now you're about uh, you're about works. to blow up for sure. Yeah, after, after today, <laughs> after right? today, yeah, yeah, I, I do a lot of work on Instagram. That's it. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks again for being here, Drew. Until next time. Cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and of course, all you wine drinkers. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 